Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, good morning. It is the 10th of March, Thursday morning. Well, it's Thursday morning where I am. You may well be listening to this much later um, via podcast. So um, good day to you. Good evening to you, wherever you are, whatever time you're listening. Um, Thank you to those of you um, who are taking me with you wherever you are going this morning out and about in the world. Thanks for those of you with whom I'm having breakfast right now. What are we having? I was thinking about quiche like a good quiche for breakfast. And so I have a question for those of you uh, who live in places where maybe you have encountered a frozen egg. Okay. So, okay. So um, I have about a dozen eggs that were clearly, they have frozen and now they are not frozen anymore, but you know, of course they're cracked. So I need to use all of them. Uh, So for those of you who know the answer to this question Can you still use an egg? I feel like you can. I feel like there's no reason that I can't still make a quiche with eggs that have been frozen. But if you know the answer to this question and if there is some secret uh, about all of this, you know, clue me in. The number is, you you need to text though. Text me at 877-933-2484. Text me whatever you know about quiche made with eggs that have been previously frozen. Because they're not frozen anymore, and I feel like I need to use them. Um, And quiche sounds pretty good. Okay, I have this for you this morning. Um, J.K. Rowling, you know her. She's the author of the wildly popular Harry Potter book series, the movies. Uh, It's a brand. So let me just say this. J.K. Rowling is the, um, she's the personality. She's the person. She's the creator behind the Harry Potter brand. All right? So that's who she is. That's how she's going to be remembered. That's how she's going down in history, you know, no matter what. So um, she recently tweeted this. You worry about your legacy. I'll worry about mine. Which led me to wonder, hmm, what provoked her to say that? Well, she was responding to a person, you know, random individual out there in the world who imagines that public opinion, um, what people are saying about you, you know, right now today is what actually constitutes legacy. So the person that was tweeting at J.K. Rowling uh, is a trans activist. Um, It's not a person who is sitting atop what I would describe as a personal billion-dollar fictional literary empire, okay, which is where J.K. Rowling happens to be sitting. Um, And this social media influencer person, this trans activist, sought to move J.K. Rowling um, from her position that girls grow into women and boys grow into men, even if, as a man, a person says they are a woman. So that's what this whole um, conversation for the activist online was about. Uh, and so the activist tweeted at J.K. Rowling asking, you really want your legacy to die on this hill at J.K. Rowling? 
And her response was, yes, sweetheart, I'm staying right here on this hill defending the right of women and girls to talk about themselves and their bodies and their lives anyway. They blank well, please. Um, and then she says, you worry about your legacy. I'll worry about mine. So let me ask you this morning, what hill would you die on? You really want to die on that hill? What hill would you die on? I was actually asked that question. Oh, my. It's been, um, I'm trying to remember, like it's 2003. My math is so bad. 17 years ago. I was asked that question in the midst of a meeting where the people were going to vote. The people in the meeting were going to vote on whether or not I could actually serve in a particular ministry in a particular place. And um, I was articulating what I understand to be the truth about how God has created us male and female, um, God's design for human marriage and the family. I was articulating um, Jesus as, uh, I mean, I was simply repeating him that he is the only way to salvation, the only way uh, to a restored relationship with God the Father. So I'm standing in a meeting where a person actually says, I mean, you really want to die on that hill? Because they held within their power whether or not I would be able to um, live in that place and serve in that particular ministry. And in that moment, the only thing I could think to say was, I've already died on this hill. I, I already died on a hill. It's called Calvary. And my reputation and my legacy are now bound to the death died there on a cross by a man named Jesus who is the one and only Savior of the world. I already died on this hill. I'm not dying on this hill today. I don't risk dying on a contemporary hill of public opinion or cultural confusion I'm already dead. I'm with Paul, who says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do I really want to die on this hill? I already did. I've already been there and done that. And my Savior, he has the scars to prove it. All right. Text me on the completely unrelated topic of whether or not I can make a quiche from eggs that have been previously frozen. Uh, And then we will talk next with Dr. Peter Kapsner um, about a wedding that took place at a checkpoint in Ukraine. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Clearly the music for Ben Johnson, not the music for Peter Kapsner. Also clearly the first hour of the program and not the second. Ben, media reporter for The Daily Wire and tweeting at the rights writer, Ben Johnson, not Peter Kapsner. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I'm sorry to be a disappointment. <laughs> oh, no. 
Oh, no, no. I tell my, not at I all. I tell my mother that every day. Oh. So I, I might have been, you know, looking at my notes for the next hour instead of my notes for this hour. Good morning, fine sir. It's okay. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, my hope springs eternal. Okay. I thought that um, it would be helpful as we are continuing to talk about Ukraine um, for you to just touch on some of the religious dimensions because these two countries, Russia and Ukraine, are home to some of the world's largest Orthodox Christian populations. And yet, um, lots of folks who are listening to us right now are not particularly familiar with either um, expressions of, uh, of Orthodox Christianity, not familiar with the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, which gained independence from the Russian Orthodox Church just a few years ago, um, and not familiar with the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church, who seems to be making a lot of news um, because uh, of what he is saying about the war. So can you just frame a little for us um, storylines related to the Orthodox faith in this part of the world? Oh, I'd, I'd be delighted to. You know, it, it, it often falls to me because I am a member of the Orthodox Church myself uh, to tell people what I what it is that Orthodoxy is. Uh, often when I say I'm Orthodox, they say, wonderful, you're Jewish. And I have to explain there, there are two different <laughs> two different religions that have the term Orthodox. Of course, there's also an Orthodox Presbyterian Church, OPC, and, and some other other places that use that term. So you have to define what you're talking about. Uh, the Orthodox Church is actually the second largest church in the world, but uh, when it comes to the United States, it's one of the smallest groups in America. Uh, we're about 1.5% of the population, according to the latest numbers I'm familiar with. Uh, there are twice as many Jewish people as there are Eastern Orthodox Christians. Um, they tend to be uh, clustered over in the East Coast and in very large cities where you can get enough together to form a church. So uh, it's unusual, uh, for example, for someone to be in my part of Ohio and be Eastern Orthodox. But um, Orthodoxy, according to my reading of history, goes all the way back to the Apostles, but uh, you know, others can look into the history themselves. We tend to be, in terms of geography, Russia, Ukraine, Eastern Europe— and uh, Greece and the Middle East, the Mediterranean area, is primarily where we are. And, uh, of course, east, uh, in the eastern part of Europe. Uh, the west was under, um, was under a patriarch uh, known as the Patriarch of Rome, and in uh, about uh, 1054 A.D. there was a disagreement among leaders and, uh, over the role of the papacy. Uh, the pope believed that he was over all of the churches of the world, and uh, our churches said that uh, that hadn't been the case in the past, so the two churches separated. But in Ukraine, it's a particularly difficult situation because there have always been multiple factions of uh, the Orthodox Church uh, that were in, in uh, tension with one another, that were not in communion with one another. And basically, the, the way to think about uh, Orthodoxy is that the way that it is led is different than almost the way any other church is led as well. Uh, it doesn't have a papal model where you have a pope who is in charge of all the churches in the world. It doesn't have a congregationalist model where you, you simply, uh, if, you, if the congregation elects someone, then that person is definitely in charge. It's uh, what's known as autocephaly, meaning that it is self-ruled. So mm. each church each church would have its own patriarch, uh, each church would have its own leadership. Uh, but the difficulty in that is, if you have a new nation, 
you also have a new Orthodox Church. And uh, in Ukraine, of course, Russia and Ukraine uh, are tied, intertwined in their history all the, all the way back to at least the 10th century. Uh, the land known as Kiev was once known as Kiev and Rus. So uh, at one point, the, the capital of Russia was sort of Kiev. Uh, and later on, Moscow became important uh, and St. Petersburg as well. But now that you have um, Ukraine asserting its independence forthrightly, as it has for the last 30 years, and has tried to for uh, more than 100 years, uh, they decided that they wanted to have a patriarch that was not uh, in, in the control of Moscow. So they, they formed a, a separate group, the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox, the Orthodox Church of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, this, this uh, Orthodox Church was recognized by some people around the world in Orthodoxy, particularly uh, the church in Constantinople, which has the most clout but very few members. On the other hand, there's a, a rival patriarch, the one who's been there for a very long time, uh, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church Moscow Patriarchate, uh, who is recognized by Moscow, of course, and several other churches. Uh, and Moscow doesn't have uh, the, the sort of name cachet, uh, to, to try and summarize it, uh, that uh, the Patriarch of Constantinople does, but he has about 50 times more followers. So that's, that's the church issue that you have two different patriarchs, sort of like uh, in, in ancient history, we had multiple popes. But uh, in, in this time, you have two different patriarchs with two different groups of followers, uh, and they tend to follow the same lines as the war. The the ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine tend to follow the, metro, the uh, Moscow Patriarchate, and those in the western part of the country who uh, tend to be uh, more aligned with the West and recognize Ukraine as an independent country tend to be aligned with a patriarch who is recognized by the uh, Patriarch of Constantinople. So that's the tension between those two mm. groups. Now, the question for everybody else in Orthodoxy is, who do you recognize? There have been these schisms in the past, and instead of having a pope come in and, and impose things or saying if they recognize him, it's okay— Basically, all the other churches that are Orthodox in the world will have to choose one of these two and decide who it is that they're in communion with. Uh, Jeff is now asking me on the text line, is Ben Johnson actually, in fact, the smartest person alive? It's totally possible. (laughs) It's totally possible. I also um, I also every time you say the word patriarch, I think to myself, I feel like the Orthodox Church um, has reserved the right to lead the cultural conversation about patriarchy. There you go. Um, so we're going um, to set this conversation aside for just a moment. When we come back, Ben and I are going to survey some of the headlines across the country related to life, particu- particularly related to access to abortion. Those headlines next on Mornings with Carmen. You Okay, uh, Ben Johnson is with us. He may not have been on when I asked the question about whether or not I could make a quiche out of some eggs that froze. I should have said, so they are eggs in a carton that my husband left in the back seat of his truck. They are not eggs that are in my chicken coop. So I should have, I'm so sorry, I should have clarified because those of you who are concerned <laughs> that I think I'm going to eat uh, a frozen egg that was discovered in the chicken coop and is cracked, um, no, you don't have to worry. I'm not eating those eggs. Um, There does seem to be an ongoing debate among you 
uh, out there as to whether or not I can make quiche of these eggs. I'm thinking I'm going to. All right. We're talking with Ben Johnson. He's a media reporter for The Daily Wire. He also tweets at the rights writer. Um, Ben, let's talk about the perceived right in the United States of America to abortion and abortion access. There's an ongoing conversation about that. Tell us what's happening in some states across the country. Well, there's a, there's a lot of good movement uh, going on around the country right now uh, because of everything that's taking place at the Supreme Court. The Dobbs case is coming down. Uh, that could entirely overturn Roe versus Wade, or it could enact uh, new measures. What, what I think is most likely is that uh, the court will ultimately come up with some way to say that states have uh, more, more reasons to restrict abortion, more reasons to protect life other than simply the gestational age of the child. Right now, uh, under Roe, the the way that Roe holds is that legislators have no right and no reason to regulate uh, abortion whatsoever, except if the child is viable outside the womb uh, on his own, on her own. And uh, that very well may change. So over in the state of Indiana, they have asked uh, Governor Eric Holcomb, uh, 100 Republicans have signed a letter asking for him to call the legislature back into session if there is any movement on Roe v. Wade, uh, particularly because of uh, Dobbs or some of the other cases that are pending right now. Essentially, they say that if we have any opportunity to protect unborn life beyond what's on the books right now, we want you to call us back into session so that we can enact greater pro-life measures to protect the unborn uh, of the world, and particularly in the state of Indiana. So uh, uh, Governor Holcomb, as, uh, as of yet, uh, as, as of the last that I read in the Indy Star, he had not yet uh, said that he would do so, but I believe com- completely that he will. By the way, this is a major change in the state of Indiana. Uh, I, I lived in the state of Indiana in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. At that time, I believe the uh, gubernatorial candidate was David McIntosh, uh, who you may occasionally see his name in the news because of his advocacy on other issues. At that time, uh, the Indiana Republican Party actually had no plank on the issue of abortion. So this gives you an idea, although the the people and the legislators of the state were always pro-life, this gives you an idea of just how far that uh, state has come in such a very short time. Also, over in Missouri, some good things are happening. Uh, One of the uh, laws that is moving forward, uh, a a motion that uh, people are hoping to enact there, would, uh, would say that it would be wrong for someone to cross state lines to obtain an abortion. If, uh, if that uh, um, can be enacted, then that would essentially treat uh, abortion like a crime. And, uh, and, and of course, we treat many crimes this way. The uh, Washington Post had a piece on this. They were sort of treating it incredulously, like how dare someone enact this? Because if you're coming at it with a point of view that abortion is a fundamental right, then there shouldn't be any restrictions or as few as possible. If you believe that life is a fundamental right, then uh, then life overrides and is the most important frame in which we see things. Without the right to life, no other right matters. Uh, if you don't get to respirate, if your heart does not get to beat on its own, and you don't have the right to exist independently of someone else's choices, uh, and that that right can be taken away without due process of law, then we're not living under the, a state of free rights and and fundamental rights and under the state of a constitution, we're living at the whim of other people in a form of barbarism. So essentially that bill would recognize that and say that it's wrong to cross state lines to procure that or to help others to do so. That is going to be interesting. 
Like, right. I, that's not one I uh, an approach I had heard prior to this. And I think that's going to be one to watch. So we're going to keep an eye on those headlines out of both Indiana and Missouri. Um, a number of other states on the forefront of the conversation about what um, what to do after, in fact, the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. Um, what's that going to look like? We're going to certainly have a patchwork of laws across the country related to abortion and abortion access. Ben Johnson, as always, thank you so much. You guys can find Ben at The Daily Wire. Um, he also tweets at The Rights Writer. Have a great day, my friend. Thank you. You too. God bless. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. We're going to take a pause to hear Max Lucado and Upwards. Um, talked with RIP, RIP Medical Debt, on prior occasions, and um, every every day, every week, every month, every year, they just keep doing what they do um, and abolishing medical debt in collaboration with donors like you and me across the country, um, multiplying what we give. Uh, and and reducing the medical debt of people across the United States by, well, it's now up to nearly $6 billion. So since 2014, RIP Medical Debt has reduced the medical debt burden of just regular Americans um, by nearly $6 billion, helping more than 3 million families across the country uh, address this incredibly challenging and debilitating issue um, of medical debt. So I wanted to check back in with RIP and see what's going on um, and come to find out they have uh, they have a new um, a new director. Her name is Allison Sesso and she joins us next. We're going to talk about how you and I and um, and everyone else can engage in reducing the medical debt load of our neighbors. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Really excited to introduce you today to Allison Sesso. Allison became the executive director of RIP Medical Debt back in January of 2020. And we have talked with representatives from RIP um, in the past. And I am just thrilled to catch up with Allison today. So, Allison, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. So, um, for those who are not familiar with RIP Medical Debt, um, what is it and what's happening today? 
We are a nonprofit institution, charitable, um, that for our mission is to end medical debt. And we purchase medical debt for pennies on the dollar. So uh, $1 relieves $100 worth of medical debt. We use charitable donations to buy that uh, debt either directly from hospitals or health, other healthcare providers, and also from the secondary market. Uh, once we get our hands on that debt and we focus on people who are facing financial hardship, we buy the debt in bulk. So we buy thousands of accounts at the same time. We run it through what we call our debt engine, which is a, a you know, proprietary technology that we've created. Um, and we send mass letters out to everybody whose debt we are relieving uh, and say, you are free and clear of this debt and you hold on to this letter and you'll never owe it again. It's so amazing. It has to be just so liberating. Talk with us about the kind of medical debt that um, that our neighbors and and our friends are experiencing, because this is one of those things, um, Allison, that is going on in lots of families. But but a lot of people aren't talking about it publicly. So what kind of debt burden are people under in terms of medical debt? Oh, it is like the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States. Uh, more families than uh, have medical debt in the United States than live in Canada. Uh, it is an extremely mm. um, de debilitating uh, problem that is systemic. Uh, one of the things that we're really focused on actually is trying to get people to tell their stories about medical debt so that it doesn't feel so personal, that people understand that this mm -hmm. is not their fault and that you know they, they are not, this is a systems issue. It is not a personal failure. Uh, the system is set up, unfortunately, to put a lot of the weight of medical care on the individual patient, even when they can't pay for it. And so, you know, while we have a lot of um, ways in which people, you know, have have subsidies for health insurance and all those other things, what we're seeing really is that increasingly people have high deductibles that they can't can't meet, and they're ending up being saddled with very high medical bills. And frankly, sometimes it's not even that high. It could be $1,000. A lot of the debts we relieved are $1,000, but the person's financial situation is not one where they can just pay $1,000 out of nowhere because they are living paycheck to paycheck. We're talking with Allison Sesso. She's the executive director of RIP Medical Debt. I want you to visit ripmedicaldebt.org. One of the things you're going to see um, it, just as soon as you get on the website, is that for every $100 that you donate, $10,000 in medical debt is alleviated. Allison, that's some crazy math, um, and I it's exciting, and um, I love the way that this happens, and I love the varieties of people who are now engaged in um, in this effort. And so, you know, where we might have a largely Christian audience, and we've talked in the past about churches, uh, you know, having um, this as something that, that they do together, but you really are reaching into all kinds of sectors and segments uh, of the American community. Tell us some stories, um, you know, about organizations that are getting together to wipe out medical debt in America. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's everywhere from, you know, the, the smaller individual in, in, a, in a community that gives a smaller donation of, you know, $10, and then they, they reach out to their friends on social media and are able to get, you know, thousands of dollars raised and relieve debt, 
to um, large corporations who um, decide that, you know, this is something that they want to really give back. I mean, there's increasingly uh, a recognition by corporations that they need to give back in terms of the communities that they're operating in or at, you know, at, the, at a national level. And so we've, we've had lots of corporate donations. We've had lots of individuals. Um, and we have, you know, even like nurses groups or doctors groups that, that come and, and contribute because everybody recognizes that the system is broken. And I think people really appreciate the return on investment that RIP Medical Debt offers to that donation. Um, so, you know, it's churches, it's, it's you know, it's different religious groups too. It's, it's synagogues. Um, there's all kinds of people that, that support our, our um our mission. And, um, you know, we have a, a very robust board of directors, which also contributes to our mission. Um, so yeah, and we've even gotten, believe it or not, a very large donation from um, McKinsey Scott, which is Jeff Bezos's former wife. Um, and so we've gotten donations from all walks of life. And, um, and we're proud to, to be taking those dollars and turning them into massive debt relief for individuals. It's so, um, it's such it's so life giving, right? It returns to an individual and then ultimately, you know, a family just that opportunity to walk forward without this burden of debt um, over them. And uh, I, I love the book End Medical Debt. I was excited to see that there's um, a new version of it out, the COVID recovery edition of End Medical Debt. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because I think the book is helpful um, you know, not just for explaining and expressing what RIP medical debt does and how people can engage, but it's also just a, a really good equipping book in terms of debt uh, management and getting out of debt yourself. Yeah, um, so that's that's a book by our founders, uh, Jerry and Craig and Robert, and um, you know they're really the brainchilds behind this organization and really took a risk in creating it um, and lending their expertise in debt purchasing and understanding the debt market um, towards this charitable approach, which, you know, is, is pretty amazing. And so uh, they started the organization in 2014. And over that time, we've been able to abolish $6 billion of debt for individuals, for, for <laughs> which is pretty incredible. And we're very incredible. proud of. I know. Um, but the book, you know, is really was an impetus for uh, for them telling the story from their different perspectives, and they do have different perspectives. What's interesting is, you know, um, Craig is more conservative in terms of his political leanings, and then Jerry's a little bit more progressive. Robert's kind of in the middle, and they all sort of didn't. What I love about that book is that they they didn't look at each other's chapters; they just wrote from their perspectives, and you can see how everyone struggles and everyone there's sort of alignment in terms of a bipartisan way if you will about the fact that this is a problem um the, and it's also i think highlights that the answers are not easy right like it really does highlight that the answers to this problem are not good we can't snap our fingers and get out of this problem um and that there's different political you know perspectives on it but at the end of the day it really highlights the fact that this problem lands in the laps of the individuals. And it does give some great tips for how um, you can avoid medical debt and how to, you know, push back effectively. Um, but what I will say about that overall is increasingly that can't be the answer alone, right? Like we can't expect people to be pushing back and, you know, fighting against this uphill battle. Um, the fact of the matter is we need to make sure that this problem doesn't start to begin with and doesn't land in people's laps. And the answers that we have, and especially at a policymaking level, I don't think can be better educate the consumer and let them, you know, be able to fight individually because that's just, people are over overburdened with life right now, right? Between mm -hmm. the pandemic, mm -hmm. 
their finances, you know, having to pick up the phone and fight with your insurance company and then fight with the hospital. You know, these are mothers, parents, people who are have lives and other things to do, and they don't have the extra time to be fighting that. So while there are great tips in that book, and I encourage people to pay attention to that, I'm really focused on making sure that we are thinking about the system overall and trying to make sure that this problem doesn't land in people's laps to begin with. So that's so helpful. We're talking with Allison Sesso. Um, we're talking about RIP Medical Debt. You can find it at ripmedicaldebt.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Rejoining our conversation with Allison Sesso from RIP Medical Debt. Again, you can find what we're talking about today at ripmedicaldebt.org. Um, Allison, again, numbers are just staggering. Every day, I'm reading this directly off the website, every day, 79 million Americans choose between paying their medical bills and basic needs like food and shelter. 66% of all U.S. bankruptcies are tied to medical debt issues and 25% of all U.S. credit card debt is medical debt. This is um, this is burdening uh, a lot of people. If it's 79 million Americans, then it's then it's like the majority of American families because you know you just multiply that out, right? I mean, we're talking about an overwhelming challenge to so many people, and yet we don't often talk about this. If we're all sharing this, like if this is a reality that many, 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 even most of us are in at some level. Why is there like seemingly so much shame about talking about it? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I think it's part of the American psyche, honestly. I think that we have this like element of, you know, and, and I appreciate where it comes from. Like I, I am responsible for taking care of my family and I should be able to do this. What's not really understood, I think, widely and appreciated is that the system is failing American people. The healthcare system and the way that we finance healthcare is failing American people. And so it's not your individual fault that you might end up with medical debt. It's very much the way the system is designed. And so, you know, we're really trying to get people to tell their stories. And increasingly, we're seeing that. Um, we have a, a team member whose job it is to really engage with the beneficiaries. And I have to tell you, the, the responses that we get from people and and the amount of relief that they feel when we relieve their debt. And the beauty of our model is that you can't apply for it. The, the way, and I know that sounds like, what do you mean you can't apply for it? Well, we buy the debt from the hospital and then we do an analysis. If the debt is qualifies for our program, we buy all of it, thousands of accounts, and then we relieve it in bulk. And then we receive the letter, we send the letters to the individuals. So there's no application. You just get the debt relief. It's like winning the lotto without ever buying a ticket. Um, and so that is part of the, the beauty of our model. And if you don't mind, Carmen, I'd love to re like read you at least one one letter that, that we um, received. Oh, okay. That. Thank you. It's very short, but um, it's from a woman named Kyra. And she says, I received a letter from you guys stating you paid off a medical bill. First and foremost, thank you. I have been through so much with my health these past few years. I'm now a post transplant survivor. You guys are amazing angels sent down from the big man himself. Once again, thank you. And you guys truly have a spot in my heart. It is those kinds of stories that keep me moving and pushing on this issue every single day. I want to do as much debt relief for individuals as possible. At the same time, I want to do everything I can to try to prevent people from getting saddled with this medical debt to begin with. 
I'll tell you, I'm on um, the RIP Medical Debt dot org website right now. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to look. It, it invites me to check out like what campaigns are going on. So I'm like scrolling around like current campaigns that are available all the way from uh, from Alabama uh, to Texas and Utah and West Virginia. Vic and Mary are doing this as their wedding registry. There are locations if you wanted to choose a particular location or a theme, um, a group, students in action um, might be one. Maybe you have a heart to um, uh, to join in. I don't know. I'm picking one here. Well, yeah, the Brazos Valley in. Medical Debt Forgiveness, right? Like, so there are yeah. national campaigns. There are local campaigns, regional campaigns. Talk with us about um, this, the, the national, a nation that cares, this nationwide campaign you've got going on right now. Yeah, that's the one that I was going to say is one of my favorites. Um, So, you know, historically, as you mentioned earlier, uh, churches and congregations have been big supporters of what RIP does. And and in fact, they've they've abolished um, at least a billion dollars of debt um, Mm -hmm. to date uh, through us. So that's a a big deal. (laughs) Of the six billion dollars we've abolished, at least a billion could be credited to congregations that collectively did this this uh, debt. Uh, debt abolishment work. And so we started creating this national campaign and we started it at Christmas. um, And it's just going to keep going until we reach our goal of uh, $5 million, which would get rid of uh, $500 million of medical debt. Um, We've to date raised about uh, $600,000. And so we're going to keep it going and we're going to keep uh, trying to to raise this this funding, um, and you know, I think what it does is it really shows that the church congregations together can do a lot of work. And I, our our goal with this is as as congregations come together and they fundraise. You know, my parents' own church contributed, and they're not a wealthy church. It's a small small denomination, um, and what they did is they really. The, the people decided to collect bottles and cans and they made a contribution, you know, from what everything they collected, because it's not a wealthy group. Other churches are able to raise, you know, hundred thousand um, dollars and or more. Um, so so it, I really love that it's all churches across the United States coming together to do debt relief, um, but also with the idea in the background that. They understand that they shouldn't have to do this either, that they don't want to clean up the mess. There's really a justice element to it, too. When we talk with church leaders, they say, you know, we want to help our our brothers and sisters. We want to make sure that we do everything we can to spread the love and to support one another. But we also want to make sure that we recognize that this is a broken system. And they really do have that element and that, that push behind it. And so we're hopeful that at the end of this campaign, when we reach our big goal, we can really splash that across the airwaves and say, this is what the church communities together have done in the United States to do this debt relief. At the same time, we want to show you just how much debt relief there is to do and that this problem has got to be something that we address collectively. Um, and so we're hoping to really leverage it to a larger um, push and a conversation. The campaign is A Nation That Cares. You can uh, support the campaign at ripmedicaldebt.org. Hey, I know we have a lot of listeners in uh, the Tampa Bay area of Florida. You could check in on the Generous Life campaign that South Tampa Fellowship has initiated there if you want to, you know, if you want to sort of go local in this conversation. Seriously, you guys should just check out all the campaigns. It'd be really fun to um, find one that really touches your heart and calls forth sacrificial giving on behalf of 
of our neighbors, our friends, um, you know, people in the community. I, I like the uh, the the walk off of a nation that cares because in a nation that cares, there are no strangers. And so I think that is um, that's just beautiful language. Allison Sesso, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I would love at some point to talk with you about, um, you know, the the experience out of which you have come to this, this association of 170 nonprofits in New York City. Like, that's amazing to me. Yeah, I, I, lo- I mean, that's that's where my background in. I came to this job think, knowing how much work it is on the ground supporting individuals. The, the groups I represented were homeless shelters, after school programs, people who are, you know, running food pantries. And, um, you know, I know that medical debt and, and the economic situation for so many people is so challenging. And so, um, you know, I thought I could do this at a national level and really take leverage the, the, my understanding of what was going on on the ground and, um, and, and focus on medical debt. And that's why I'm excited to do this work. But yeah, the, the, there is a, a vast network of social service organizations working diligently across the country to pick up the pieces um, for individuals and help them through some very challenging times. I'm thrilled that you're in this position with RIP. And I'm just I'm so thankful for all the work you've done in the past. Um, and for that work going forward as well. Allison Sesso, you can find her at ripmedicaldebt.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Thank you so much um, for those of you who are uh, exchanging text messages with me this morning. You can do so as well. The number is 877-933-2484. We've got uh, a friend uh, texting in from 517 area code, which I would have to Google unless Ryan Mitchell knows off the top of his head where the 517 area code is. I'm not that bright. I'd have to Google yeah. it as well. Well, so. no. I mean, you know, sometimes it's like the neighboring, like, right, and I just don't know. So I don't think go. it's around here. But 517 area code. All right. So, uh, oh, it's the lower P of Michigan. That's why we didn't know. Um, so, um, not that uh, Ryan, who is producing this week, uh, as Paul is on vacation, neither um, neither Paul nor I live in the lower P of Michigan. But I'm thinking that this person lives in a land rich with cherries. Mm. All right. I'm already thinking about that. Okay. So um, I know it's not cherry blossom season yet, but right. The promise of cherries is in those trees. So this friend texting in says, um, I had a medical debt of over $100,000 forgiven back in 2010 when I didn't have a job. And I don't know how it was taken care of, but the hospital, but the hospital told me that it had been forgiven. Okay. That is totally amazing um, and such a gift, right? Such a gift. When we are under a burden we cannot bear for others to come alongside and help um, help us bear it is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, if you're in a position to do so, if you have a story of Thanksgiving like that and want to extend that kind of blessing to others, that's what RIP Medical Debt is doing. And so um, I counted a privilege to be able to just raise awareness about organizations um, like this one and you know, nudge and provoke those who are in a position um, to do something for others uh, through organizations like this. So there you go. RIP, medicaldebt.org. 
Ooh, okay, there's just so much um, going on in the world, and we are going to, um, you know, continue covering headline topics and news. And um, I think that here at the end of this hour, I just um, I want to take a deep breath, and I want to acknowledge the goodness of God, the challenges of the world in which we live, um, and that we stand as agents of God's grace and instruments of um, his goodness right now, wherever you are. And I want you to just experience that for a moment. You, you stand or you sit or you lie, wh- whichever the posture is you happen to be in, maybe you're kneeling. Um, you are within the scope of God's grace. So you should just feel that for a moment. Even if you feel like nobody else sees you, God sees you. Even if you suspect nobody else knows your name, God knows your name. If you suspect or feel like nobody else understands the burden you bear today, the cross you are asked to carry, um, the particular pain that you're enduring, God knows. He's right there, right now with you in the midst of it. And if you can't see him or feel him, then I want you to right now turn around. Turn around because he's right there. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he is available to you right now with all the grace necessary. His grace is all sufficient to meet the challenges that you and I face in this day. To be confident of that because he is good and he is God. We have another hour of Mornings with Thanks Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast next. of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.